Hey everyone, you're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be diving into what's top of mind for us right now, where we'll talk about the most timely and relevant topics that are probably in the minds of a lot of people out there in the HR world. Hope you enjoy. MPL family, stop what you're doing and take five seconds to go subscribe to the MPL Weekly Digest. Every week, we'll share the top three takeaways from the episode along with the full transcript. Just go to the show notes for this episode and click the link to subscribe. And now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern People Leader. This is our second group chat that we've done at this group. I think this is actually our OG group that we did our very first group episode with. And uh, many of you here with us today are some of our first guests. So uh, really good to have everybody back. How's everybody doing? Doing great. Happy yep, to be back. Happy to be back for sure. It's good to see everyone. I was saying earlier, it's like a, a family reunion. It really is. I can't believe it, it's been as long as it's been, but this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. It's been almost two years. That's a, yeah, I was looking back at the old episodes and I can't believe that it's already been two years. Yeah, it was it was July twelfth, twenty twenty one. So not quite two years, but almost. All right, so let's do good news stories, and I am going to pick on Dilshan. How about you get us started? Oh my goodness, good news! Um, two years ago, I uh, was in the thick and thin of helping Securonix grow the business. We grew it to one hundred eighty five percent headcount growth. I can't believe that was done. We had an exit last year, and so that has happened. And now I'm on my next gig. So that's the greatest story to see that from where it was to where it's gone. And honestly, you know, it was exciting to meet all my colleagues during Zoom because you guys, I saw you more actually more than anybody else because that was the beginning of my time at Securonic. Uh, so happy to see friends back again. Likewise. Who wants to go next? And if nobody's going to jump in, I'll just jump in. So last week we went to Transform and that was the first conference that the Modern People Leader has has been to. And prior to going, me and Steven put together like a spreadsheet with all of the goals that we wanted to accomplish at the conference. And I I want to say we exceeded our goals. We ended up We ended up recording nine total interviews. So eight that were like these short form 20, 30 minute interviews and then one longer one that we had planned in advance. We made some progress on the sales front. And then we just, it was just great connecting with a lot of our former guests in person and just meeting. Honestly, like I got a lot of energy from just talking to a lot of HR tech founders, not even trying to sell to them, but just hearing their stories. So I'd say that we had a pretty successful transform. That's awesome. Daniel survived his first HR I'm still tired. Honestly, I, I, I've been sleeping like 10 hours a night for the last three or four nights. I don't know when I'm going to finally be back to normal, but I was exhausted. For sure, after conferences, because you have to be on the whole time if you're really putting into it, but you want to get out of it and talking to as many people as possible. So I, I always feel the same way after conferences. I need a conference from my conference. <laughs> well, Lindsay, since, uh, since you're ready, you're ready on, on my screen. How about you go next? Sure. So I've been at Decadental or Ideal Dental now for about a year and a half. So I think if I, we reflect back on the last year, the good news is we've solidified our technology stack. 
I've got a really good team in place, high performance leaders, and the business continues to, to grow and thrive. It's kind of been it's like a rocket ship in terms of the growth. We open an office, a new office, De Novo, on average every nine days. So we've gotten pretty good at that, and it's been fun to, to be along for the ride. Awesome. That's all you've been up to? Just opening up place every nine days. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let somebody else go. <laughs> so since last time we've met, um, I've successfully completed M&A, got the new company up and running. And so I'm now with Snap Finance. So we're a global fintech company. So really excited, made a big move. So in good news, we are in Utah having the most epic ski season in record history. So, you know, having a lot of fun, building an awesome team, really great organization, doing a lot of CSR work and, you know, personal life is great. Hiking, skiing, it's been really fun. So it's been a great ride. I think we've all had so many changes. It's incredible. That's right. Cause you, you were, Rihanna, you were in California before. I was. Is that right? Yeah. So California so, to Utah and, you know, all sorts of life twists and turns, but it's been treating us really well. How exciting. I won't complain about that because she's closer to Denver, so I get to see Rihanna a bit more often now, so that's been nice. We did a family ski trip with both of our families earlier this year, which the kids loved. Um, in terms of my, I guess, good news story, it's a bit more non-traditional and more on the personal front. I know that it feels like since COVID, so many of us on the HR side have been just in a state of transformation and reorganization. And I was leading that, I think, as you know, for Groupon for the past few years. And in the last month, I made the decision to really make a big change and try to figure out what's going to be next for me. So it feels great to actually have a breath for once and be able to spend some time with the kids and go to the gym. And again, minus the snow today, get out, get outdoors and do some hikes. So it's a bit of a time of reflection after a really chaotic um, last three years at Groupon. That is awesome. So awesome. <laughs> And I feel like we, you know, having been at Transform last week in Vegas and just seeing the power of physical in-person connections with other humans, like, I feel like we need to coordinate some sort of modern people leader retreat and maybe it should be like a ski, a ski thing. Cause that seems to be, if you guys are skiers, like I know both Daniel and I could get on board with that. And it would just be so awesome to, uh, I want to manifest that. <laughs> we got to make that happen. And both Utah and, and Colorado are, are perfect places. So just saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Steven, I'm going to hold my, you to it, man. I'm going to go buy my ski stuff now. So oh. you better start planning this. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in. We'll, we'll, we're on it. We're on it. So my good news, I think, uh, I think that leaves me. My good news, I'll go personal also. Um, we, so I, I call this birthday, springtime is birthday season at, uh, at the Huerta household. My youngest daughter turned 11 in February, and my oldest daughter is officially a teenager. She turned 13 March 30th. And so this past weekend was her birthday weekend and it was amazing. We had so much fun. And so I'm successfully through the first half of birthday season. Cause now it's like everyone else, all the birthdays are, are literally happening in, uh, in April and May. 
in early June. So having fun with all the birthdays and my teenager is is happy for the time being with her dad. So I'll take that. I'll take that. That's good. excellent news. So well, we have we have so much to talk about. And when it's been two years since we've last spoken, it's like, oh my goodness, like where do we start? Like what what one compelling topic can we really dig into? And Daniel and I honestly struggled to like narrow things down. And what we thought would be a great way of like starting the conversation is you all shared, I think all of you are in, in new roles. And so I think if there, uh, let's start with talking about like one major, if there's one major reflection since our last conversation in terms of like the state of the world, the people space, like, what is the, the, you know, that one reflection that you have just looking back on the last couple of years? As we all take deep breaths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll share something I think is clear to me. Relationships were important before the pandemic. You guys, some of you know me more, some of you know me a little bit, but getting stuck at home for like, two plus years was not something for me. And I had to really reflect on how to sort of be by myself. <laughs> Lindsay knows me more than most. And honestly, the value of relationships, the value of the human connection. I mean, I would really like put a premium on that versus ever before. And I think I attend to relationships. I was always a people person, but I attend when I'm with somebody now, I attend to it a lot differently than I used to. So that's kind of my learning over the last couple of years. And then people are the most important asset the world has. I love that. No, I mean, I, I'll agree on the, on the personal front. Um, my marriage has come to an end and I've been going through that for like the last year. So that's been a, a hard thing that when Dilshan talks about just, you know, the implication from where the world was, where the globe was, what that meant from a society perspective. That also put, you know, strains on personal relationships and home relationships and hard conversations and decisions that have to be made for, I think, the future and, and hopefully the greater good that I'm not blaming like all of this on the pandemic. But if you take a step back and look, I think a lot of relationships have changed because people have had to really take a step back and assess what they want out of life because we only have one go round, and it's really important that we make the most of it. So that's kind of, you know, a change for me on the personal front. And then I do think that our function was under a lot of strain, but I feel as though people know that they can't do without it. So there's a better appreciation. HR is no longer just this nice to have sort of cost center even some of the most stubborn leaders absolutely understand the importance that it brings to the overall business because it's it's the people that matter. I agree with that wholeheartedly, Lindsay, right? I, I think that we've all worked with very difficult leaders and we've tried to get HR the right um, seat at the table at times. And sometimes it's very much welcomed, but I think all of the leaders across the the spectrum have really realized whether it's been positive growth and momentum over the last two years or the opposite where you've unfortunately so many tech companies have had to go through, you know, layoffs. Neither of those are possible. You can't scale the business and you can't unfortunately do the layoffs without the HR function and things like the, the co component of empathy, DEI, all of these things are kind of table stakes these days, I think, at most organizations, whereas five years ago, I don't think that that was necessarily the case. 
I would, I would agree with all the points. I think the other thing too is bringing mental health awareness into the organization. The last couple of years, I've seen definitely accelerate as we've all experienced many things in personal life, but also, you know, Dilshan, to your point on that relational component and not having it, the, the opening is there to really incorporate more of those, bring your best self, your whole self to work. And so we've done a lot of work in the mental health space for our employees as well, which I think has been hugely helpful. For me, I think looking back, I the biggest transition for me has been this feeling of excitement. Dilshan nailed it. When, when Daniel and I started the podcast in 2020, we were li- really looking for an outlet, a, a, a side project to energize us. And, and we did we and we still do believe that these are transformational times like the these are times that we're going to look back in history and be like holy shit like remember that like that, that happened and it changed so many things and for the better for the worse it just was like a really kind of disruptive time in the people space and one reflection i had just thinking about the conversations we were having a couple of years ago and in preparing for this conversation is I, I feel like I, I, there, there is some of the excitement for, for the change that was happening. Some of that excitement has gone. And I think for me, it, it's a feeling of, you know, what is to come? Like, what is really, what, what is the future going to look like? And how much of what we were going through was just kind of anomalies because of the the specifics of what was happening, how it happened, all of the the combination of things, whether between the pandemic itself, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, like all it was like back to back to back to back, all of these things and events that were profound. And now I feel like it's like a we're it's we're in a holding pattern. And it's like, ooh, you know, what is what will the future look like? I think that um that some things are clear, other things aren't. And so um, it's kind of this anxious waiting period for me just to see, you know, how is this all really going to settle? Or is is this truly the way it's going to be? Has technology and social media and the pace of the world just changed what cycles look like? And are those just going to be much shorter now? And it, are we just going to keep going through cyclical change after cyclical change? And so that, that for me is, I think I'm still excited and I, I'm still hopeful, but I, I think there is a bit of, uh, you know, of, of wanting, of waiting to see what, what this is really going to look like and, and what the future, how the future is going to paint out. Well, I think that's the uh, perfect segue into what we wanted to talk about today. So when we were at Transform, one of the panels that we got to attend, actually the only panel that we were able to attend was a VC panel. So Allison Baumgates, who was a former guest on our show, she did a panel with, I think, three or four other VCs, and they did a round of what they were calling fatter future. So she would list out a trend or you know something that's like a buzzy topic that people are talking about today or maybe over the last few years and pose the question to the group, is this a fad or is this the future? So I want to do this with you all. And uh, I want to start with remote work. Is that a fad or is that the future? Look, I'll kind of say this. I think that remote work is here to stay. 
but I do believe it's more in a hybrid model. I know you didn't ask for that piece of it, but I feel firmly that that's the model. I do believe people will want to connect, but they're not going to connect the way they used to. Wholeheartedly agree with with that mindset, and um, you know, it's a, I think a conversation that a lot of us are having, trying to figure out what is the right thing for our organization, for our employees. Is there that right balance? I mean, we were forced to go home. Offices shut down. And so living in that environment for so long and now having the opportunity to re-engage in a traditional setting is another major change. And so how do we go on that journey with our organizations, with our employees, and make sure that we're able to have those meaningful connections when we are together? So I do think that it is here to stay. And I also think it's more hybrid and connection is key when we're all together. I would echo that. I think I think it's here to stay as well. I do think that there's going to be some industry-specific nuances, right? I do think, you know, remote is going to be much more prevalent in the tech space, right? If you look at Lindsay's role, for example, right? You can't go into a dentist office and have people remote, right? There are, you know, some virtual visits and some types of things, but I do think that this is going to be an industry-specific differentiator. Yeah, good segue. I couldn't agree more. You know, my support center is 100% on site. We feel passionate about that with our culture because we're supporting individuals who have to be on site. So that's what works for us and, and for our industry. However, I think generally speaking in most kind of corporate environments, spanning across industries, what I've seen is, is hybrid. People do want more flexibility, but employers are, are kind of shying away from 100% remote. I think that the key word there is flexibility. I think everyone across the board wants more flexibility and whether that's fully remote or it's some sort of like flex model, I, I think that's the, the, key, the key word there. Last week when we did, I think we did eight interviews and the one thing that people kept bringing up is uh, like more of the option of choice for employees, not just in how they work, but like what types, types of benefits they opt into, I mean, it seemed like every conversation that we were having was about almost like creating better structures or frameworks that allow people to create their own path of like what they want from from work. So I, I don't know. I feel like that that's probably going to be the future that everybody's trying to work towards. Yep, I would agree fully. And I think you got to add... I think teams are going to have to define what productivity looks like for them. And I think we take for granted, you come to the office, you hang out, you do some work, and then you go, whatever. I think people are going to have to attend to what that engagement looks like and how they get work done a little bit more intentionally and thoughtfully. I've been seeing right. more optimization as well as it pertains to the total reward space. I've had some interesting conversations with some brokers, and that's kind of, I think, what we're going to see more and more of in the future is more of like a fund for if I want a particular type of insurance that's meaningful for me, or if it's social responsibility that I want a you know particular amount of dollars allocated towards. So not just lumping, I think, all money into benefits per se, but being intentional around where those dollars go so that it's meeting the needs of your employees and what they want. And Lindsay, to that end, would it be like, this is the program for the organization, or are you guys starting to look at it from like an a la carte perspective? To me as an individual, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z, you know, Kristen may be looking for something different. How would you structure that? It's more of an a la carte. And it's, okay. it's kind of this, like, basically it's a bucket of choice, optional benefits that you could bolt on. And then in the 
major medical space, a lot more of the consumerism towards, used to be called, gosh, I can't think of the name. They, they take Surest, where basically you get onto an app and you can see for my MRI and my area, this doctor's charging this amount, this doctor's charging that. So it really puts you more in the driver's consumer seat and kind of a win-win for both the employee experience and, and the employer yeah, I think that's that awesome. Came... I think that's like speaking to the flexibility that we're starting to see in more surveys that we're doing and different forums that we're sitting in. And that's really the flexibility that people would love to have. So I think it's awesome that you guys are adapting that. I'll definitely talk with my team about it. Love it. Yeah. And you're, you're definitely in line with the trends, Lindsay, because that, that came up in the conversations we were having at Transform, the notion of like what, you know, some of the new trends that people are excited about and the things that they were hearing at the transform conference and one of which was the personalization of of benefits or moving to this even even when you think about not just benefits but like or if you look if you if you take a total reward mindset and you look at okay all of these things are some form of reward like how you how you choose to work like do you want in person do you want hybrid? Do you want fully remote? And there is like, and obviously this can't be done for with all industries as we talked about, but for those where it is possible, like giving the options like, okay, you've self-selected in person. So these are the, these are the, this is what comes with the in-person package and, oh, you know, Daniel, you've selected hybrid and here's what you get. And here's also what you don't get, right? Because since you've chosen this, there's going to be some things you get, some things you don't. Because just like you will with in-person or whatever whatever package you you choose. And I personally think that that is like a fascinating approach. And I think especially if you're targeting a younger workforce, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that personalization or kind of that Netflix approach of like, I want to be in the driver's seat of what I can choose and have a feeling of curating my own experience, so to speak. So I'm going to, we have more fatter future to get through. So we're going to keep cranking through these. So the next fatter future is something near and dear to me, and that is diversity, equity, and inclusion budgets. There was a huge investment over the last couple of years you know, there's already some word on the streets of companies cutting back um, pretty significantly on their diversity, equity, and inclusion budgets or their spend. And so, so is it fad or future diversity, equity, and inclusion budgets? I know this is a little spicy, so. I think <laughs> it is. I think it's going to be part of the future, right? I do. And I'll speak to being part of one of those companies where we did have to cut significantly our, our DEI team and our DEI budget, as I know many others did. But I think that one of the things, and I'd be curious to know how everyone on this call handles it. I've been, I've seen DEI budgets come strictly out of the HR budget. I've seen it come out of marketing budgets because you're kind of DEI forward facing to consumers. I think the piece that we have to get right is saying it shouldn't be coming from one org cost center or another. It needs to be a defined space, right? And it needs to be, even if it sits within the HR function where it typically does, right? I think it has to have a standalone budget so it doesn't feel like it's taking away from other initiatives that are equally important. Yeah, look, I, I want to comment on that. Lindsay and I had a little chat before this kind of meeting. I've worked in three types of businesses, three sizes of organizations. 
it's never been clear to me where that sits. I will make another statement. I think HR budgets in general are dated. They don't reflect the new business needs. And I think if you look at it, we have to look at the future, what it takes to invest in people and reconsider the budgets. I think CEOs, boards, investors have to look at it because the previous budgets are not relevant to the future anymore. And DEI shouldn't be an extra add-on. It should be a part of belonging in the business, right? So I agree with you in the future, but I think there's a lot of transformation to go to realize what it's going to take to invest and have an employee experience that's worthwhile. Yeah, I would say the same. I think that we've come a long way, even in our tools and technology in the space. So as we've implemented a new learning management system, there's very quality training that's embedded within that, that we can customize to, to make our own, to include our values. So I think in the past, that wasn't necessarily as available. So you really had to spend significant dollars to be able to offer that training to employees, as an example, and even just analytics and reporting in the human capital space has come so far. You don't have to hire necessarily a, a comp analyst to benchmark where you are from a DEI perspective. You can pull reports and you know have dashboards set up and monitor that. So for me, it is part of just the overall budget. But if it's you know anything we need to do and it's the right thing for the employee experience or the guest experience, we'll invest in it. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with all the points that have been made. You know, I we do have a lot of work to do in this space. I think that we need to be really intentional, but I really believe that DNI could positively impact the company's bottom line through increased productivity and profitability. We can enhance our brand awareness, we can improve talent acquisition, retention of key valuable employees, and then I think really increase the kind of innovation around the teams to make better decisions and to be more mindful. So I just think it's something that is truly here to stay. I do think there is still work to be done in this space. And Lindsay, we've, we've recently switched platforms as well. And so it's integrated into the model, which I think has been helpful versus maybe last year where it wasn't. Being a standalone, having to kind of you know defend those dollars, I think a number of us have had to over the last year, kind of looking at holistic budgets. Um, so I'm happy to have that integrated, producing reports, having those dashboards to be able to show that value more real time on a go forward basis, I think will be incredibly helpful for you know our function collectively to show the value. Yeah, I love the the collective thoughts here. This is a tricky one. You know, I I, I feel like the general consensus seems to be like the the budget word, not DEI. DEI is the future, the way that DEI is currently budgeted and that financed by the company needs to change. And and I agree with that. Like if if I'm an employee and for the employees that have been through multiple cycles, like you know how it works, especially if you've spent time in HR, like, oh, a downturn is coming. Okay, first the talent acquisition people are laid off, right? Because we're not going to be hiring. And if we're not hiring, then why are we investing in paying salaries for talent acquisition specialists? Which, by the way, I don't agree with that mindset. I think there are other ways that you can, it it should be a talent conversation. Like we have great talent. We need to find a way to better allocate the talent we have and get creative. But that's not the general the general operating model. Typically, what happens is, oh, we're not going to be recruiting, so we're going to lay off our 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 talent our talent acquisition our our recruiters. Well, people can see that, right? Whether you say that or not, and so then when you cut your diversity, equity, inclusion budget, 
it feels like it has the same optics, right? Oh, we're, you know, we're downsizing our DEI team because we're not, what's not said is because we're not going to make the investments that we were making. And I'm not saying that's what companies are doing, but that's what it feels like. And it, it, I think if you want to be, have a real legitimate program, you've got to find a way to, to legitimize it because for me, like the optics are tough, right? Especially now. And so, so that, 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 that I think is what, what I'm hearing and what the challenge is going to be in the future. All right. So I want to talk about chat GPT. So I don't think I've ever talked, I've ever uh, heard as many HR practitioners in one room talking about generative AI as I did last week. It felt like every person that we ran into wanted to talk about chat GPT. So is chat GPT the future or is it a fad? I think it's the future for sure. I do believe it's a lot of power in everybody's hands and it will be used very responsibly so that like anything in life, you know, you can use it for good or bad, but we need to be invested in it, get our arms around it and make sure it's used for good. I, I agree. I think there's, you know, like anything else that's that remarkable, you know, from a technology perspective, there's societal implications. So it's hard to put them all in one column. But when you think about it from an innovation perspective, it, it's to think about what's practical and possible with this technology and gosh, the sky's the limit in terms of like knowledge work, customer service. And um, I was joking with Dilshan, I wish it was around when I was in high school because man, that would make <laughs> things a lot easier <laughs> to get done. But it's definitely the future as far as, far as I can see. I do, I'm torn on this one. I do think it is part of the future, but I think with, I think we need to use it responsibly. And we've done some tests internally with kind of our internal comms team versus chat GPT, just to kind of test it out, trial and error. And so I would just say, I do think it is here to stay. I do think that we need to proceed with caution. You know, there's been all sorts of articles, pro and cons, right? Um, and so I would just say, I, I do think it'll stay. I think we need to be really mindful. I think this will pose new challenges for many of our businesses with our employees, with our children, for, for goodness, Lindsay, to your point, right? With really just making sure that we're fact-checking, um, that we're not having copyright infringement. I think that it's just brought with some pitfalls to be mindful of, uh, but I do think it's here to stay. I think there's a lot of enthusiasm, but I just think we need to be cautious as we proceed. Are, are you able to share any of the experiments that your internal comms team has done and how they've gone so far? So I would say um, collective content from chat GPT has been pretty, pretty good. We've had to do some rewriting. So like what you're not going to get is kind of that cultural tone, the values of the organization. Um, you know, the some of it can come across very pointed and curt. And for our organization, we write very warm and can lead with empathy. So I would just say, if you, if you plan to use it, definitely look at it with the lens of how does our organization want to be portrayed and how we're choosing to communi communicate. What is your voice? Because you're not going to get kind of that, that voice with it. You'll get maybe some, some data that's great that you can leverage. You will have to tweak and rework. But I would say, I don't think there's a single comms that we've tried that we haven't had to overlay or warm back up to kind of match our town. There's not, not been anything like off the shelf from GPT that we've been able to use. Dilshan, I know you want to get on this. You came off mute. <laughs> no, no, I fully agree with you on all your comments. And I think the whole thing is this is very early. 
I think we should lean into it and be very uh, aware of what's going on, right? And it's going to, to, to uh, Lindsay's point, it's a transformative technology and uh, we need to understand how it's used and people like us, leaders like us, we should be very involved in making sure it's used for the right purposes. Are, are there any applications that, that any of y'all are you know, excited about with ChatGPT as it relates to the people team? The guests being, you know, our guests, but our internal guests, which are employees. And if there's ways that we can quickly help them, you know, answer a question, direct them to the right avenue, um, even just like guests in terms of um, questions that they have, you know, following an appointment, you know, things like that, that are, you know, it's hard to say, cause you don't want to, you don't want to lean in and into it too much, but it's like those first tier questions, I guess you would say, I can definitely see it being very efficient there and, and helping the guest experience. I, I did a survey with my team before I left. And honestly, the team doesn't like doing repeated work. I mean, who wants to do that? They'd want to go to more advanced HR to coach it coach a leader and stuff. So I think some of the more repeated tasks where maybe they're asked a few hundred times a year, those should be all chat GBT. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And with us migrating into Workday, um, you know, hunkering down really on that help function because it's the same thing, you know, the team, the people team does not want to answer that same question over and over. So it's making sure that we're doing that programming up front to be able to take care of those questions. So uh, utilizing it the same way. Kristen, I want to be inclusive, so I don't. I don't think you've you've answered yet. No, like, I was because gonna... you don't have an opinion, or you have a very strong opinion. I agree with everyone's perspectives of what they said. I think we do need to lean in. I think there's ways that we can have this help from an automation standpoint within our own people teams and take some of those repetitive tasks, like has been discussed away and and being able to elevate to that more strategic and consultative work that I think many people in, in the HR function really strive to strive to get to instead of those repetitive tasks. Yeah, I'll never forget my first job in HR. So I worked in the global mobility function in, uh, at Ernst & Young. So I, it was like companies that had outsourced their global mobility function. And I was on the compensation team and we had to do, there was this like TPS report. I forget what it was called, but if you've seen Office Space, you'll, you'll get my reference. And it was this terrible like format and you had to draft a memo and then there's a summary of our comp findings. And it was either like you use the same template over and over and over, but that wasn't great because it didn't seem personalized for the, for our clients. And we found ourselves like rewriting the same report over and over and over. And it just seemed like there, there's gotta be a better way of doing this. And for me, I think those are the use cases. And there are a lot of use cases like that in HR. Our function remains highly administrative. And so, so for me, I think those are the no brainer. It's like, okay, of, and it still may be like an 80-20. So like, okay, chat GPT, you know, put together, draft this memo for me, address it. And then I only have to spend the 20% of personalizing it using my voice or the company's voice for whatever, you know, memo or communication or email. And so I think there's going to be, you know, while there, I think, I, I also agree there's reason to be kind of concerned. Um, I, I do see, I, I think the, there are endless possibilities in how you could apply this in a meaningful, positive way 
in in the people space. And so I and and that unlocks more time for more innovation and more, you know, more um more value for the company. And so so I'm super excited about that. Moving on to the next topic, um, <clears throat> I want to talk about mental health and well-being. Is this a fad that just kind of came out of the pandemic era, era, or is this really the future, uh, focusing on employee mental health and well-being? I think it's the future. I think a lot of us have not talked about it at work even previously. Now that I've opened up conversations with colleagues, everybody says this existed, but it was not something they wanted to talk at work. And I recently had the privilege of working with a company who's actually doing this for their base co-business and the numbers of people wanting to get into this and offer this to their colleagues is extremely high. So I think it's the future. And I think like anything else, we need to normalize it. Completely agree. Couldn't have said it better myself. It's it's the future. I think that's something that could be a good thing coming out of everything we've been through in the last three years is we've now taken, it's, it's, it's removed any stigma around it. And um, I think as practitioners, we have to get better at directing people to the right resources or, the, or putting the right resources in place to ensure that employees feel supported across, across the gamut of issues that we've had to endure. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And one of the major investments we made from a total rewards perspective for 2023 was in this space specifically. And so, you know, Lindsay kind of did the earlier conversation a la carte, you know, we now have more options for you really looking at that, you know, speaking with our employees about it, you know, what would benefit you? What do you need more of? How can we provide that assist? And I think to take it even a step further, from just an engagement perspective and trying to kind of normalize it throughout this entire year, we're doing, you know, you know, mindfulness meditations with Rihanna as an example, right? So the entire executive team will lead a session every single month on a different topic. And so utilizing that app, app to help us, but to really say, you know, we're here, we're, you know, using the technology, this is something that we believe in from our culture, I think will be really helpful. And then more of an investment into the employee resource group around just kind of, you know, we'll call it general wellness, but, you know, what are additional things that we can do to unlock so that you can absolutely be at your best? So um, huge investment, definitely here for the future. And I think so many companies always had a focus on wellness, right? But this was just one of those components that maybe wasn't one of the top pillars, right? Like there's financial wellness, there's emotional wellness, there's physical wellness. And I think this, from a mental health standpoint, has just really elevated over the past two years. But I think it's definitely here here to stay and it, it's important and it should be. I think burnout is another big thing that we're facing, especially this year, just because it's there's the shortage of skilled labor. It's very hard to maintain staff. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of that domino effect. So having an awareness of it and then ability to assist people with it is, is going to be here for the future. I would agree, Lindsay. It's part of our leadership team conversation as well. It was just, you know, wellness and that balance and adding more, you know, more questions into surveys around, you know, what does that balance look like and how can we create balance? And then how do we recognize the signs of burnout? And then what can we do to wrap around and help you? So it's definitely a trending topic in our organization. We're watching it, trying to figure I, out. What, I know, think Rihanna, Rihanna, to your point earlier, and I think Lindsay and Kristen, Bo, all of you guys, 
I think when you look at leadership development in the future, this particular component is going to be big, right? How do leaders create environments that allow for like psychological safety or like that instead of being a weakness, how do you unpack the full potential of a very healthy organization? I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the future. I agree. And I think <clears throat> the question then is like, how do we create psychologically safe organizations? And, you know, what are the boundaries? You know, what is, you know, it, it, it's, I feel like the last couple of years, what, um, as we were talking about earlier, like some of the things that we talk about now, like it's okay today to say, I am not well, like I, you know, I'm feeling burnout you know, I need a wellness day. Like, I, I think that is a much more common thing that is happening today than 10 years ago. Like if you, you wouldn't dare tell anyone like, oh, I, 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 I think I may have a mental wellness problem. Like there is just too much fear that that that's not something that you can share with your employer or, you know, you may get fired or you may, it may limit your possibilities. And so, so much has changed for me. It will be interesting to see like, what is the responsibility of the employer and what, what is the standard for a psychologically safe workplace? I, I don't know what the answer to that is, but I, I think, you know, that's going to be something that we're increasingly looking at. I kind of circle back to Dilshan's point because those conversations are going to be taking place between a leader and their direct report. And if a leader isn't coped with the training or equipped with the training on how to handle that conversation and understand that the organization does want to be supportive and create environments where people can come who they are to work and, and be healthy, they're not going to be able to handle that. And, you know, oh, well, how many PTO days do you have? You know, so it, it, right. it, I think we all have an obligation to somehow figure out a way to destigmatize that, but not only just saying so, but letting managers know what those conversations should sound like before they're in, a, in that position to have them. Totally agree. I, I think this whole winning at all cost organizations are not going to be sustainable, right? That means you work, it's a harsh environment. If you have stuff that you want to be concerned mentally, you're seen as weak. You're going to have to really change the world that winning at all costs is not a sustainable activity. Winning with the right energy, the right mindset is going to be important. And I've seen more and more organizations pivot towards that type of leader versus a leader who just wants to win at all costs. And I think you, to Lindsay's point about leadership, get, getting back to leaders or what's acceptable and what's not, we're going to have to get very serious as an HR organization around the world. So I think that's a, a perfect segue into the question that I wanted to ask the, the group. So what I'm hearing is that we've, we've made a lot of progress. And on some of the things we've talked about, you think that they're here to stay. I guess if there is one thing that you're the most concerned about, like where do you think we could potentially lose progress? And I think Stephen's referred to this phase we're in now as the the great pause. Is that is that what you're calling it, Stephen? Exactly, the great pause. Because I do think that I think it's already happened. I think companies have hit pause. It, you know, if we really want to have real talk here, they've hit pause on things that they committed to to their employees in writing, and now they're unwinding these things, or they're just like, okay, let's see if people forget 
that we committed to this. And then we'll, when we have a better idea of like how close to profitability we are, we'll, we'll revisit it. Yeah, I think people are having flashbacks to the recession of like, what was it, it was 708 and some knee-jerk reactions and maybe some very prudent actions that are that have been taking place as a result. But all of us are kind of in the state of just being cautious, you know, watching things closely, looking at interest rates and just trying to make um, the most wise decisions we possibly can. And that's definitely something I'm seeing across all industries. Yeah, you say, what are we concerned about? Is that the question, Daniel? Exactly. Look, I, I am concerned over the social impact of how we are kind of dealing with people. And I think it's a corporate thing, it's a government thing, and it's a sort of everyday life thing. I think around the world, I think human beings have a concern about how the employer treats them, how their overall community treats them. And I think as a society, we need to get serious about improving humanity in general. I think Anybody the else? Um, current topic in our organization is really around our strategy when it comes to everything related to people. So we've heard this a couple of times today. People are most valuable asset, community internally, community externally, where we live and we work. Um, and what does that look like? And so we've hit a pause from hiring 100% remote that was our pause to say, how do we find, you know, what we're calling hiring hub locations so that we can foster that community and build teams and locations that make sense for us so that we can live and work and play together and be able to make all of our CSR dollars, as an example, really impactful in those pockets. And so I think that was a bit of our pause walking into 23 is let's be really intentional about where we're building those communities and the investment that we're making into those communities. And I think all of that goes into creating that environment and that culture where people feel connected and they feel like they are supported and they can bring their whole selves to work. Um, you know, one of my fears is right now with the ambiguity of what's going to happen from an economic standpoint, I think a lot of people are staying put just from a safety net perspective. And I think that that's also really going to change once once we have kind of a better insight into what's going to happen. If, you know, the economy recovers and rebounds, I, I think there's going to be a high degree of attrition and retention is going to be a huge concern for all, all of us if we and our companies haven't built an, an environment that fosters people wanting to be there and feeling connected. And so we, we've talked about a lot of, a lot of, uh, of trends in the people space. And so I'm curious if there's, um, if there's anything that you still think is not getting the attention it deserves in the work we do. Is there anything that is like core to, to, to the work we do in people operations or HR that just still isn't getting any attention or is just not getting, you know, the spotlight that, uh, that it should. I'll make a comment. And I think my colleagues will agree with, with me on this, hopefully Lindsay as well, is that boards need to take the people element very seriously. They obviously pay attention to the CFO function or the finance function operations function, but I mean, I come from a technology background, 80% of your labor, 60 to 80% is talent. And taking this chief people officer role as a role that can really accelerate your business, 
uh, give you the returns you need, and also make sure you elevate that role to the level of a CFO value, which is gonna be a big opportunity for those who can do that. I think you can see the returns over the next 10 years. Yeah, I agree. It's a big question. <laughs> I think to that end, we have to just continue to, I think we've gotten better in the data and analytics space of human capital management. I think our tools have improved but I think we all can do a better job of making it into a compelling story, just as a CFO and CEO has to do. So I think our, you know, our, our practice still needs to continue to sharpen our pencil in that area. I agree with both comments, and I do think that there is absolutely an appetite for it. So as we are bringing these tools and resources and our dashboards to the table to really show the ROI of the HR function. I have found to be incredibly helpful. So newer to, um, you know, Snap Finance, and maybe that wasn't the, um, you know, cadence of my predecessor. Bringing that to the table, I think, has kind of opened up the eyes to say, "Wow, this function can do more than maybe what I realized, and adds value in different ways." And so I would just say, continue to lead with the data, you know, get really good at the storytelling. I found it to be a massive unlock, and where I'm at, and I think that's something that we can continue to improve on. Agree wholeheartedly with that. I think, you know, the data piece has helped shape so many decisions and, and we can all use it to help influence as well and show how, to your point, Rihanna, we're, we're more than a cost center, right? We can truly um, help elevate the business, elevate that high performance culture and provide a, a solid ROI for, for the business. I, I think it was Rihanna that that suggested we brought Jackson Lynch onto the show and Jackson, you know, he's, there's like a handful of quotes that I find myself continuously going back to. And Jackson's quote was something to the effect of if you, if you were to talk to 10 CEOs and you were to ask them, okay, what, what's the job of the CFO? They're going to have very clear thoughts. And it's going to be, and if you were to compare the 10, the responses from the 10 CEOs on what's the job of the CFO, and they're going to align very well. Like, you know, there's the reporting piece and this and that. It's pretty clear what the job of a CFO does, and there's alignment around that. If you ask that same question of a chief people officer, you're going to get very different answers. And, and that's part of the problem is what the expectations are of your people leader and what the responsibilities are, like they vary wildly. And so that's why you have everything from people that, um, that are still kind of trapped in, in old HR to those that don't have the experience that you may actually need in your people leader. But that is like a huge issue. And, and, and every, and I, I, I can't unthink, like he shared those words and I just was like, Oh, wow. You know, he, there's, there's, I, I can totally see that. And that's just a way of, I guess, restating what you guys just shared in, in a way that I think will hit for most people, because, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Absolutely. And so I've got one more question for you all as we, as we look I, I honestly can't believe it's April 4th here and we already are a quarter into uh, 2023. But as you as you look to the rest of the year, what one trend or, or one initiative do you guys have going on? I want to bring it back to to 
the excitement and energy that I talked about earlier, what what one thing is like really getting you fired up as you look to the next few quarters? Like apparently it, it appears that it's going to be a, it's going to be a continue to be a tough environment, but you know, I know you have, you know, amazing teams that you guys are working with lots of talented and smart people that are doing a lot of innovation and in, in the things that they do. And so I'm just curious, you know, what, what's on the, uh, what's on the project list or OKR list that, that you're really fired up about. I'm excited about um, the digitalization of the employee experience. So just bringing everything together via single sign-on, but then reward and recognition programs, education programs, just tying that all together to improve the overall communication within the organization, but the overall experience as well, listening, feedback loops, et cetera. I think for us and how fast we've grown, we need to, it's, it's an inflection point we have all these roofs now from coast to coast. So how do we continue to ensure that everybody's voice can be heard? And that's how we intend to do that. All right, I'll go. I think what I'm really excited about is the, the cash crunch is making everybody think a little bit better. And I think everybody's asking what's the optimal organization. And sometimes when you have a burning platform, it's exciting to get them do some surgery. So everybody's trying to understand how to organize their house how to get better productive. And if you can use that interest and sort of position it to unlock people's potential, that's what I'm really excited about. I think those are really great sentiments and we're experiencing same thing, which I think is a lot of fun. I'm most excited for our function, for the investment that we've made this year around our leadership development programs, around our individual contributor programs. So a lot from just kind of, you know, how do I develop myself, whether it's a straight line career track or something different in the organization? I think that's going to be really exciting and something new for our organization. And the other thing is really we revamped our CSR program for this year. And so we just have really cool things happening throughout the year. So it's been cross-functional team at all levels in the organization coming together to say, what is the impact that we want to make this year? And so um, I'm really excited for some of the things that we have this year. Yeah. I think for me, this is going to be more of a hypothetical answer, right? Given given some of the change that's happened in the last couple of weeks here. And I think I'm very excited to take everything that we all have in our toolkits, right? And find an organization that is on that growth trajectory that I'll be able to step into and truly say, how can I help elevate your culture? How can I help elevate your leaders and build that best-in-class HR team, which I think we've all we've all had the ability to do, and that's so rewarding. So I think taking that energy and finding finding the right next step for me is going to be kind of what I'm most excited about. I'm excited Good. for that's you. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, so going back to the, the point that everybody was making around there not being like standardization of like what the CPO role does and like clearly defining that, I'm curious, what do you think is now a part of the definition of what a chief people officer does and the value that they bring to organization today versus what a CEO, you know, would have said five years ago? Like what's some of the added value that y'all see that that you bring to the table that maybe three or four years ago you wouldn't have thought of? I mean, this is my view on this, right? I mean, we're talking about human beings, a little different than inanimate stuff, but the reality is that our job is to unpack the full potential of talent so the organization can 
thrive. It's a little different in different companies, but I think that definition being harder than softer needs to come out there in the marketplace. And I think to that point, just enable them to be as productive as possible in a great culture and in a great working environment. So what does their experience look like? What do those career paths look like? But then just the total rewards component of it. How do we benchmark within our industry? How do we continue to grow at scale? And how do we motivate performance? Versus many years ago, it was just payroll, recruiting, benefits, the discipline committee, <laughs> the firing squad. So it's, uh, it's, it's evolved, I think, beyond that, probably through our, our analytics journey, I'd say. And I think five years ago, there were so many CEOs and leadership teams and companies who, to a degree, just took the talent for granted, right? They're like, oh, we're going to be able to get people in the door. We're going to be able to find the right talent. And with the analytics and with everything that HR has really driven in the last five years in terms of culture, engagement, DEI, and painting that full picture, I think... I hope, right, that most companies would would not take that for granted anymore and and understand that the chief people officer and the HR function has a, a large hand in driving that. Daniel, can I add one more to this wish list? Please. I would love to. And I meet, I'm talking about all my three colleagues here, all business leaders, right? All awesome business leaders that run their business. I would love to see some of us or all of us, if we want to do that, become CEOs. And I want the boards to understand that HR has the potential and the intellect to take that seat and do it and do it well. Yes. Yeah, I hear that too. I think they, if you sit in the boardroom and you don't offer your opinion or you stay in your lane and only talk about human capital components, you're missing out because we have the perspective that needs to be offered within that room, even if it's just completely off topic. So I think that is now an expectation of our role versus five years ago, it wasn't. I agree with that. I agree with all all points. I think Lindsay too, to, to kind of build on that, it's an expectation, but I also think that this is our time to shine, right? Like, I mean, we do know, you know, it goes back to knowing the business cold and how to help people excel to reach their full potential. And so I do think that we need to, to show up and really have that voice and make sure that we're heard. And I think that we can provide a perspective that may be different. And I think that that's okay. And having that opportunity to lean in a bit more because I may look at it one way versus up here. And I think that having the diversity of thought and perspective is very valuable. And so I think I would just encourage all of my colleagues to speak up a bit more. We look at things from a different perspective and I think that there's a lot of value in it. Earlier this year, we had Josh Burson, the the HR thought leader, um, founder of the Burson Academy, et cetera, et cetera, on the show. And we were we were going through, we were, we were basically tearing down the book that he had just released and you know, talking about all the nuggets of wisdom that were in the book. And as I was reading, furiously reading the book before the 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 conversation we had with him, I like. I did like a, almost like a, a screeching halt to like one paragraph in that book. And it said something to the effect of the highest predictor based on their research, the highest predictor of having a highly functioning HR organization 
was a rotational program where HR people are being put into the business. And I've been saving this for this comment right now for this group conversation, because you all were the first that called that out. When we asked you two plus years ago, like, what are the traits of a modern people leader? You know, understanding the business, you know, a, a full comprehensive understanding of the business is absolutely critical for a modern people leader. And then fast forward a couple of years, you know, I'm talking to Josh, we're talking to Josh Burson about this. And he's saying, not only is that like critical for a modern people leader, but it's also, you know, the, the highest predictor of, of having a, a really world-class um, HR organization. And so I just wanted to, to sh give that shout out live with you in this conversation because we heard it from you all. And I think that um, Daniel and I have never forgotten that. And, you know, one of the things that we look for when we talk to, to guests that we have on the show is like, do they get that? Is that, do they fundamentally get that point? Because, you know, that, that's how convicted we are about what you shared with us so early in the modern people leader journey. That's awesome to hear. That is awesome. Good memory. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's, it's more about competency, values alignment, intelligence to get the job done. We can teach the rest. Yep. All right. Should we do one word closes? I think we got, we have three minutes. I think so. On. I think so. All right. Who wants to kick us off? Steven, you, you should go. I'm going to pick on you. Ooh. I'm going to go with a one phrase. Okay. And I'm going to go with old friends because that's how just having this conversation, it just feels so natural with you all. And uh, it's just such a joy. We don't have the opportunity to speak as much as I would like to speak with, with all of you. But um, the fact that we're here again is kind of a testament to, uh, to the relationship that we, we form with you guys. So old friends is, is how I want to close it out. All right, my my, I have a tag for this, but the shortest version is lead well and be well. I think um, just complete profound respect, and that's not one word, but that's how I feel, <laughs> and just energized as well. So thank you. This brings me just so much joy. I love old friends and being together and. I'm just feeling so joyful. So thank you again for the opportunity to spotlight all of us. And I will um, kind of wrap it up with just overall relationships and networking. And that's what all of this has been about for the last few years. For many of us, some of the relationships go deeper, but I think we've all been very connected in one way or another throughout our careers. So it's been great. Agreed. And I'm going to go with change. It's not only has there been a lot of change in the workplace over the last couple of years since we last spoke, but it's really awesome to see all of the the change in your personal journeys and your career journeys. So yeah, it was it was nice catching up and you know hearing what all has been going on for the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, feels like we're we're talking to old friends. Congratulations to you guys! What you've done with the podcast has just been an incredible journey to watch. I love listening. It's just been really cool to to be with you kind of from the beginning, so to speak, to, to where you are today. So great job. And, and, I wholeheartedly yeah. agree. I mean, this is absolutely phenomenal. I'm so happy for you guys. And um, from a leadership team perspective, we talk about the podcast that we listen to. And so this is what I listen to. I listen to the modern people leader. 
And so <laughs> definitely driving a lot of excitement, um, you know, with all of my colleagues, you know, and uh, turning them on. So I think that this is just phenomenal. Super happy for you guys. Well, I don't want to pile on, but I will. I, I remember, Stephen, you asking me to be on this. And I'm like, I was number seven in the podcast. I'm like, what are these guys <laughs> up to? Uh, and then I met Daniel. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. I'll be the end of my career or the beginning of my career. But guys, you, I was looking at your, you know, modern people podcast kind of list. You have 105 podcasts. Unbelievable. And I think you took the courage to do it. You're redefining what our function should be and giving us a platform. Thank you so much. Really proud of you guys and want to publicly say that and be all sort of excited to be here because I think you're changing and putting a voice out there of how the people function can lead and add value to corporations. So thank you. You're you're so welcome. And I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart that we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you all as well. Uh, cause I, we wouldn't have made it past a few months if we hadn't had such amazing people join us and, you know, the courage to join this brand new thing that we were creating. And so I, I honestly feel like this is partly yours also the you're part of this success. This is our success. So thank you for, for joining us two years ago and taking that risk still, Sean, and inviting us to, you know, you were, you were the linchpin because then you invited Lindsay and then it all fell into place and, you know, for continuing to join and, and listen to, to what we have to say. So um, we, we really respect every single one of you. And thanks so much again for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for, for tuning into another episode of the modern people leader. We, we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We want to we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can, you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening and, and see you on the next episode. 